welcome to the podcast of the hill. You are about to hear a message from Pastor Daniel Blalock entitled "Build Battle" from our Father's Day message. Amen. If you have your Bible, I'm in the book of Nehemiah this morning. Nehemiah chapter four, verse seventeen is our key verse. But we'll read a few verses to lead us up to that place. But turn with me to Nehemiah. Amen. Find the book of Second Chronicles. Take a right two books, and you'll be there. All right. Find Chronicles, take a right, Ezra, Nehemiah, right? Some of you need to sing the books of the Bible song, right? First and second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, there you are. You'll find it, all right? Amen, Ezra, Nehemiah, right after that, amen. You get to Job, you went too far. Job, Esther, you went too far. It's right between them. Get to Psalms, you passed it. Back up, Nehemiah. Amen. All the kids with their app, man, I just hit the button and it's there, right? I mean, we're, we're already there. We're waiting on you. Yeah. Yeah. Nehemiah. Happy Father's Day. Great to be in the Lord's house this morning. Amen. Amen. In 2017, um, a tech company called Epic Games released a video. There you go. Released a video game. I knew I'd get a shout over there. Yeah released a video game that changed the atmosphere of most of our houses forever, if you have children in the home. In September, they released a game called Fortnite Battle Royale. It has resulted ever since in young men all across the globe wearing headsets and shouting cryptic phrases at one another through the television like, man, he just one-pumped me. That little default. Stop third-partying. You're such a bot. I'm going to 360 no-scope you if you don't quit. Yeah. How'd I do, guys? All right? Pretty good? Okay. I'm an amateur, so, yeah. We hear it all the time, and many of you are going, I don't know what those phrases mean. Well, if you have kids or grandkids, you probably have heard some of those cryptic phrases coming out before. One of the key strategies in the game Fortnite is to be able to, to win the game is called combat building. Say that with me. Combat building. In addition to collecting weapons and setting traps and pulling together teams or partnering, one of the ways that you win the battle, one of the ways you compete is by building forts, towers, other constructions to be able to protect yourself. And most of the time the goal is to get above your enemy. So you try to build higher and they try to build higher than you. You're competing for the upper ground because your fort can protect you from underneath somewhat. And you can shoot down on top of your opponent and so you want the high ground. Well, why am I explaining it to you? John, show them what a build battle is. There they are. He got his gun. She could be a he. Higher and higher. Oh, yeah. Got the gun. All right. Here we go. Build up, up, up. All right. There they are. Build, build, build. Now shoot him. Come on. There you go. There you go. All right. There you go. All right. If you've not been properly introduced, now you know what Fortnite is and you know what all the hoopla is about, right? Yeah, and they'll play for hours and hours and hours. And there's no real end to the game. 
me, it just kind of goes on forever until you finally just make your kids go to bed. That's just kind of how that works, right? Yeah. Well, in these build battles, the, the idea is you want to build higher and higher, take out your opponent, and so now you know what is going on in the living room when your son goes, I can't believe the internet is so glitchy. Build, for heaven's sakes. Build. Now you got it. That's what's going on. They're building. Well, if there are two words that I want to ring in your heart today before you leave here, it are the, it's these two words, build and battle. Say them with me. Build and battle. So we're talking about a build battle today. And the great place to find that is in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 4 gives us our main thought for the day. When I think about build battle, I think about the Old Testament story of a guy named Nehemiah because God gave him a building project. His job was to go back and repair the war-torn city of Jerusalem, to rebuild the walls and to repair the gates. Today, these two words, I want them to burn on our heart, build and battle. This is the message the Lord's given me today. Nehemiah was a very trusted official in the court of a powerful king. The king's name was Artaxerxes. He was the king of Persia. After the exile ended, when Cyrus let the people go home, many of the Jewish people left Babylon, went back to Jerusalem to live in their home city. Nehemiah had a really good job. He had a government job. He had great retirement and benefits. He wasn't going anywhere, right? So he stayed back in the palace of Susa working for the king. He was such a trusted man, he was the king's cup bearer. That meant he tested the food, made sure nobody poisoned the king, and he took a bite of everything to make sure that nothing was wrong with it, and nothing got to the king that didn't come through him. He was sort of like the culinary bodyguard for the king, right? Yeah, that's his job, the official taste tester. My kids wish they had one of those sometimes, right? Just before the Brussels sprouts got to them. Somebody should have checked this. This should never have made it to me. Yeah. Uh, Well, there he is, and he's trusted. And he walks in one day, and he's sad. He's down. And the king says, what is wrong with you? And he said, one of my relatives came from Jerusalem, and things are not going well for my friends back in the city. They tell me that the walls are torn down, and the gates are burned with fire. There they are. And so they're very torn and upset about it. Nehemiah 1.3, they The survivors who are left from captivity in the province said there is great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and the gates are burned with fire. So the Lord gave Nehemiah favor with the king and the king sent Nehemiah back to Jerusalem with the king's credit card. Yeah. And said, go back and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Go and repair the gates and do whatever you need and put it on my credit card. Here's a letter. They will give you whatever supplies you need to get the job done. That's a pretty sweet deal, isn't it? How many of you would like to spend somebody else's money for a change? Would Yeah, that'd be awesome. So the king gave him his card and said, go build. Whatever you need will be provided for you. And he goes back to build. The Bible says the Lord gave him favor and he oversees the project. But when he gets there, he realizes this is going to be a lot harder than he thought it was going to be because he faces some very real obstacles in rebuilding the city. I want to tell you today, Nehemiah reminds me of the state of things in the world you and I live in. The state of the family, the state of the church, the state of our nation around us. It seems that in every area, the enemy has come in and done very real damage to us. Our families are struggling. Too many of our marriages are ending in divorce. are constantly locked into cycles of dysfunction. Domestic violence, verbal abuse, passive-aggressive stalemates, couples just living like roommates until the kids get old enough to 
That's not God's will or plan for a marriage. Children going off the rails, following the wrong crowd, falling into traps of sexual sin and alcoholism and drug addiction. Even in the church we find it. Churches across our land are lowering the standards of godliness and biblical teaching. On the one hand, the gospel is being replaced with self-help psychology and humanism. Worship is being traded for entertainment. The cost of discipleship has been canceled out and replaced with an unhealthy focus on wealth and prosperity. In other circles, the church has abandoned the Bible altogether. It's been co-opted by movements in the culture who want to remake Christianity in its own image. This comes to us from every corner, from pro-choice rhetoric to an over-focus on LGBT issues, a liberalism that seeks to remake God in our own image, people who try to politicize the church and make it all about this party or that party. There's all these forces from the outside that want to come in and say, give me the steering wheel of the church. Give me the pulpit. Give me the voice. And it's breaking down the simple fact that we were called to preach the gospel of Jesus and to lift up the name of Jesus and to show the world the cross and the way to salvation and not get pulled aside into all these side eddies, but to hold the standard of what does God's word say? This is how we want to live. This is how we want to do life. And so in the world we live in, I would say to you today, it's time to build and it's time to battle. Say that with me. It's time to build and it's time to battle. Number one, it's time to build. Say to build. It's time to build. Nehemiah 2.17, when Nehemiah comes to the people of his city, they're just sitting there in it. They're sitting in the rubble. They're sitting there living with the walls broken down. They're living with no gates on their city. They're living there open to attack. They're living there vulnerable to their enemies. And Nehemiah steps in and goes, guys, what are we doing here? Who's going to rise up and fix this? Nehemiah 2.17, then I said to them, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God which had been good upon me and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. Say that with me. Let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. And I don't want you to notice that. They, he, he, he inspired them. He stirred them up. He provoked them to do something. Why are we sitting here with things like they are? Why don't we rise up and do something about the situation around us? And my hope today is by the end of this sermon, I will have provoked some men to action. I came to stir some people up. As Braveheart said, I came to pick a fight today. Amen. Amen. I came to to wake you up and shake you and make you aware. There is a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of building to be done. And there are some battles to be fought. And if they're going to be fought and won, it's going to be done by the men of God who rise up in the church of Jesus and take the moment for what it is. Pastor, how do we start? Go ahead and give the Lord a hand of praise. Amen. Amen. Well, where do we start? Well, we start with the gates. Say that with me. Start with the gates. If you read through Nehemiah chapter 3, you realize very quickly this is where they began. In verse 1, there's the sheep gate. In verse 6, there's the gate of Yeshana. In verse 13, there's the valley gate. Verse 14, there's the dung gate. Wonder what went in and out of there. Verse, I guess it's like the poop deck on a ship, right? Yeah, the dung gate. Wow. They didn't have sewage systems, so there you go. They've got a gate for that. Verse 15, the fountain gate. Hope those two weren't close to one another, right? 
Number 26, the water gate. And number 28, the eastern gate. That's the famous one Jesus comes through, right? Amen. So you've got these seven gates. Why are gates so important? And why do they start by repairing the gates? Because the gates are the points of entry. It's where you enter the city. It's how you come in and go out. Whoever controls the gate decides what gets in and what doesn't. What leaves and what stays. We need some gatekeepers in the world we live in today. We need some men who will stand in the gate of their family and the church and the culture and say we are putting our foot down on some things here. There's some things that will not be allowed. There's some things that won't pass that won't enter, that won't exit. City officials are the gatekeepers of a community. Pastors are the gatekeepers of a church and moms and dads are the gatekeepers of their family. Amen. Parents are called to that role. You're responsible for what comes in and goes out of your house. There was a time when parents understood that their primary role and responsibility was not to be their child's best friend, but to be their child's gatekeeper. They don't need you to like them, and they don't need to like you all the time. Amen. They need you to protect them. They need you to put walls. They need you to build gates. They need you to keep things out of their lives. They need you to keep influences out. They need you to block for them. Even when they don't want you to, they need you to. Hallelujah. A gatekeeper is someone who stands up and says, you're not bringing that into my house. Someone who says, you're not leaving my house dressed like that. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, I don't, know why the, I don't know why the youth leaders would let them dress that way. They came out of your house dressed that way. Don't you put this on nobody else. You bought it and you approved it. And if you don't like it, you fix it. It came out of your house. You're the gatekeeper at your house. Hallelujah. The Lord reigns. Amen. Fix it. Fix it before it leaves your door. You're the gatekeeper. You're not leaving here like that. That music isn't coming in here. That movie, that game isn't coming in here. That attitude, that sass, that language is not coming into my house. That group of friends is not coming in here. That boy is not leaving here with you. Hallelujah. Fathers, it's time for us to repair the gates of our home and become the gatekeepers of our own families again. Don't pass the buck down the line to everybody else. Amen. But the reason it's so hard to pastor a church or lead a community is because we're failing in the gates of our own family. Hallelujah. Lord, help us. So start with the gate. Say, start with the gate. Number two, work around your own back door. Say that with me. Work around your own back door. Leaders are to start with the gates. Where does everybody else start, pastor? Notice the example the Bible gives us. It's so easy to look around and get overwhelmed and not know where to begin. It's easy to see how broken the world is and not know where to start. We feel stuck. Well, just read the Bible and do what it says. Amen? Chapter 3, verse 23 says, And after Benjamin and Hashub made repairs opposite their house. Where? Opposite their house. After them, Azariah, the son of Messiah, the son of Ananiah, made repairs where? By his house. Look down at verse 28 through 30. Beyond the horse gate, the priests made repairs. Where? Each in front of his own house. After them, Zadok, the son of Emmer, made repairs. In front of his own house. After him, Mishalom, the son of Berechiah, made repairs. Where? In front of his dwelling. Start at your place. Start at your house. 
They didn't know where to start, so Nehemiah said, I've got an idea. Everybody walk out your back door and walk out to the place nearest you and look at the wall. Inspect the wall behind your own house. And if it's broken down, start right there, putting the stones back on top of each other. Start at your own back door. Start at your own house. Replace the stones. That's a great word for us today. Amen. These people needed to hear that. Notice what they did. They walked outside and started where they were. Jesus taught us that principle didn't he? He said instead of looking at the speck in your brother's eye and trying to get it out, why don't you start with a two by four in your own eye? Jesus said start with your own back door. (laughs) Walk out and look at your own life and see what you need to do. Many times we read the Bible and walk away going, I found a passage that would be great for so and so. Well you need to find a passage that would be great for you. Amen? Because we've all got some work to do. Amen? We need work. Say I need work. Your life needs some work. You've got some repairs to make. You've got some fences to mend. You've got some gates to repair in your life. Get on that. Some of us need to be gatekeepers in our own lives before we start setting boundaries for our families. Some of us look at our kids and we're basically saying, do as I say, don't do as I do. I don't want to know where your words will lead them. I want to know where will your footprints lead them. Because that's what they're going to find and that's what they're going to follow. And they're experts at finding the ones you tried to cover up. Quit covering up and clean up. Glory to God. Clean up your own house. Work on the gate behind your house. If you don't want it in your kid's life, get it out of your life. And if you don't want it in their life, don't let it in the gate of your own hearts. Don't let it in. Some of us need to repair the walls of spiritual disciplines in our lives. Prayer, attendance at church, Bible study, worship. Some of us need to construct some boundaries around what we watch on television and the internet. Some of us need to shake the alcohol out of our lives. Some of us need to get rid of our tobacco issues. These are gateway drugs that often lead to other things. Oh, they won't lead me to anything. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about those children under your care. And you might have stopped with one. They may not stop with one. You might have stopped with tobacco. They might go further than tobacco. You might have stopped with marijuana. They might end up hooked on heroin and you let it in your house repair the gate of your own heart fix your own life today it isn't even about you quit playing you're a man you're full grown you should have got that out of your system before you married and had kids and if you didn't I'm sorry but that ship sailed you are daddy now grow up and be daddy Grow up and be husband. Grow up and be the man of your house. Be the gatekeeper God's called you to be. And quit playing games. Glory to God. Get rid of it. And if you don't get rid of it, then don't be surprised when the snake you let in bites your children. You let it in the gate. Be the gatekeeper. Fix the wall. Repair the gate of your own heart, your own life. Some of us need to watch the gate of our own lips, our own mouths, the things we say and that our children hear us say. Pray the prayer of David. Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord, and a watchman at the door of my lips. We need a little guy there with a bow and arrow. And every time something goes to come out that shouldn't, he goes, bloop, bloop, bloop. Yeah, shoot it down. Knock it down. Don't let it come out. Some of us need an angel with a tennis racket, right? Yeah, keep it in. 
Some of us are being led today by people that we ought to be leading. There's some of you in the room, God brought some people into your life and He brought them there because He trusted you to be the man. He trusted you to be the leader. He trusted you to be strong enough in the Lord to grab hold of them and be a witness to them and pull them into the faith that you have. And instead, they're pulling you into the world with them. The Lord trusted you. If you can't handle the relationship, then cut it off until such a time as you can. But better than that, grow up and be the man of God you're called to be so God can use you to lead the people around you. You're called to be salt and light. Don't lose your savor in this world. Hallelujah. Satan will plant people in your life to trip you up. You've got to know when to close the gate on some things. You've got to know when to shut the gate on some people and say, sorry, you're not getting access to my life. You're not getting access to my family. You're not working in my place of business. You hear me, employers? There's a time to be gracious, and there's a time to shut the gate and say what you're bringing in here is polluting the atmosphere of this place, and I won't have it in the place where I work. Hallelujah. Mm, it's quiet and holy in this church today. Amen. Y'all thought because I was wearing blue jeans, I wasn't going to preach. You're crazy. <laughs> I don't have a tie to choke me to death. I can preach this morning. Amen. Lord, help me. Maybe God is calling you to address a gap in the wall, a breach in the defenses of your family, your neighborhood, your workplace. Do you see a gaping hole that needs to be filled? Do you see something? Maybe you get angry when other people aren't passionate about a cause like you're passionate about a cause. That happens to us. We get stirred up. Something grips our heart. And we get upset because everybody else isn't as passionate about it as we are. Maybe there's a reason for that. Maybe the Lord has laid it on your heart. And maybe He's going to lay a different cause on somebody else's heart. And instead of judging one another over what we're not passionate about, maybe everybody should just go find something and do it. Maybe everybody should just go find a hole in the wall and plug it and if we all did that it would all get done go find the place that stirs your heart how do I know what that is what makes you cry when you see it what makes you angry when you see it what stirs you up where do you see the devil working in the community and it just gets you all hot and bothered that is a clue to what you're supposed to be doing something about what are you doing about it other than complaining and saying nobody's doing anything about it Amen. What are you supposed to be doing? Get after it. Find a way to plug the hole, fill the gap, repair the wall, and restore the gate in your community, in your workplace, in your neighborhood. If we'll all do something and meet it, we'll, it'll all get done. Let's have a heart like the people in 2.18. So they said, let us rise up and build, and then they set their hands to the good work. Rise up and build. Say that with me. Rise up and build. We're called to build. Say build. And we're called to battle. Say battle. Amen. Walls and gates are built to deal with potential threats. But the people in this story didn't just have a potential threat. They had an actual threat. There were some people that really were after them. It wasn't just imaginary. There were these two guys in the story, and they were stirring up trouble for the people of God. Their names were Sanballat and Tobiah. Sanballat and Tobiah. Here, we find them in chapter 4. We find them first in chapter 2, verse 10. The Bible says, When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of it, they were deeply disturbed.
A man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. The enemy got upset when Nehemiah came because God raised up a man. God stirred up a man's heart. He broke his heart and made him cry. And then it made him angry. And then it made him act. And he showed up and said, let's do something about the problem here today. I wish there'd be a generation of Nehemiahs up in the church that would see the brokenness of our community and they would weep over it and then they would come before the king and say will you grant me the ability to do something about it and then they would go out with the king's resources and repair and rebuild broken things in our area of life. I wish we'd do that. When you do that you're going to face an enemy. You're going to face a Sanballat and a Tobiah. They'll show up in your family. They'll show up at work. They'll show up in your school. They'll show up in your neighborhood. They'll show up in your town. They'll show up. And then he uses these different devices. There's three tactics used to try to get Nehemiah to stop the good work. So notice the devices of Satan today. The Bible says we are not ignorant of his devices. If we read the Bible, we know how the devil works. It's not unusual. It's, it's laid out for us. God warns us how the enemy operates. Notice this today. Number one, he uses discouragement. Say discouragement. The enemy loves to discourage us, especially men. The enemy uses this as a targeted weapon against us. The Bible says, Chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. So it happened when Sambalot heard they were rebuilding the wall, he was furious and very indignant, and he mocked the Jews. He mocked them, he made fun of them, he ridiculed them. And he spoke before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Notice this. Will they, will they offer sacrifices? Will they completely build it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and said, Whatever they build, even if a fox goes up on it, will break down their stone wall. Sanballat and Tobiah. Sanballat questioned They don't have what it takes. They'll never see this project through to the end. He questioned their commitment. Say commitment. Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive stones from the heaps of rubbish? Stones that have been burned with fire? They'll never stick with it. They'll never see it through. Men, some of you in the room today know all too well the voice of the enemy that gets in one ear. And when things get tough and things get difficult and a goal seems a little bit out of reach, you know how it is. The devil will get in one ear and he'll start whispering to you, you're not going to make it. You'll never see it through. You're, why don't you just go on and quit now? You'll never make it through. You'll never finish this. This was a foolish idea to begin with, just write it off, forget this, forget the dream, forget the vision, forget the plan, forget the goal, and he just tells you, just wipe it out. Don't even try this anymore. The enemy challenged their commitment. Say commitment. Sanballat challenged their competence. Look at the wall they're building. Why? If they, even if a fox ran across that, it would fall right over. What is this, a Lego project or is this a building project? There they are. It looks like Lincoln logs stacked up out there. It'll never stand. The enemy questions our competence as men, our ability. We live in a world where the enemy tries to discourage us. He uses these two tactics. We question our ability. He fires a flaming arrow of insecurity at our heart, a fiery dart of inadequacy aimed at our chest and shouts in through the voices of others that we won't, don't have what it takes to make it. And when you do begin to make progress, he says you don't have enough follow-through to see it to the end. First he tells you you can't achieve it, and then he tells you you can't maintain it when you do achieve it. Sound familiar? 
It's the voice of the enemy. It's the devil. He gets in our head. He speaks to us. He whispers in our heart. He shouts through the voices of other people who try to discourage us. Say discouragement. The second tactic is disheartenment. Say that with me. Disheartenment. He tried to get them to lose heart and become afraid. Bible says in chapter 4, verse 7, Now it happened when Sambalot, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry. All of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Say confusion. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversary said, they will neither know or see anything till we come into the midst and kill them and cause their work to cease. It was when the Jews who dwelt near them came, they told us ten times, from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. What happened to them? They're afraid. They're afraid and they're fatigued. They're tired and worn out and now the enemy comes at just that moment and he pushes the right buttons. Discouragement questions our competence and confidence. Disheartenment uses the tools of fear and fatigue to push us to the breaking point. Listen to what they said. The strength of the laborers is failing because there's so much rubbish. Have you ever been in a season of life, been trying to move ahead, trying to do something for your family, do something to better yourself, start a ministry in your church, improve the community, and you just run into so much rubbish, rubble, garbage, minutiae, junk, just stuff that keeps standing in your way, clutter that needs to be cleared out. It just slows you down and you spend so much time trying to deal with all of the drama and all of the side issues and all the stuff that you feel like you're never going to get to what you really want to be doing. That's exhausting, isn't it? They were fatigued. The strength of the laborers is failing because there is so much rubbish. It's the voice of fatigue. And then there's the voice of fear. In the middle of that, when they get good and tired, the enemy starts threatening and says, if you keep doing this, I'm going to attack you. If you keep on this fool's errand, we're going to show up in the night and we're going to attack your family. You'll never know which direction we're coming from, but we're coming for you. We're going to get you. It's like opening the mailbox and finding a dead rat in a box. Amen? If you've ever watched a mafia movie, you know what that means, right? They're coming for you. It's what it's like. Getting that letter in the mail. Yeah. Here they are. They're fatigued and they're afraid. The voice of fear. From whatever place we turn, they're going to be upon us. Wow. So, you've got disheartenment. Number three, you've got distraction. Say distraction. They are distracted. One of my favorite passages in Nehemiah is Nehemiah 6. The Bible says in Nehemiah 6 that Sambalot, Tobiah, and Geshem came and they heard that it was going well. The project just kept going. There were no breaks left in the wall. He hadn't hung the gates yet. Verse 2, Sambalot and Geshem sent to me, sent a message saying, Come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. But to do me harm. There is a time to listen to constructive criticism, but there's also a time to ignore the droning, grinding, complaining of people who really don't intend to help you anyway. You hear me? They don't intend to help you. They'll point out all the negatives, but they won't lift one finger to help you bear the load of what you're trying to accomplish. 
It, there's a time to just ignore those people and push their voices to the side and keep doing what God's called you to do. These are the devices of the enemy. Discouragement, disheartenment, distraction, trying to get your mind on something else. Well, how do we fight it before we leave here and go feed our daddies? I'm looking forward to being fed again. Amen. How do we fight it? I'm done with this. Number one, notice the defense. Number one, here's how we defend ourselves. Number one, we pray in the face of discouragement. Say that with me. We pray in the face of discouragement. How you handle discouragement will make or break you. It'll make or break you. It's coming. The enemy is going to land this fiery dart on your shore. He's going to hit you in the chest sooner or later with discouragement. And you're either going to fall into the pit of sin or you're going to fall on your knees in the presence of the Lord. You're going to fall in the pit or you're going to fall in His presence, one or the other. What are you going to do? When you get discouraged, some people fall in the pit. Say the pit. They start reaching for their old sins. Some of you haven't, you, you haven't, you haven't been tempted and, and pulled and lured away by some things in a long time. But you get tired and you get discouraged and you feel defeated. And the next thing you know, things from your past begin to call to you again. And you thought, man, I never thought I'd be tempted by that again. I never thought that would call my name. I never thought that would knock on the door of my heart and try to lure me away. And all of a sudden, here you are and old temptations, maybe done since you met the Lord, they start tapping you on the shoulder going, hey, you know what would be really good right now? You know what would relax you right now? You know what would make you feel better and get your mind off of it for a few minutes? And the sin begins to call to us. And when you're discouraged, it's easy to fall in the pit. The only way to not fall in the pit is to fall in His presence. To pray, to push that stuff aside, to push the idols back, and to come before the Lord and say, I don't need to be filled with a drink. I need to be filled with the Spirit. I don't need to smoke anything. I need the fire of God instead of the smoke of the world. I need you to come and fill me up. I don't need to put my eyes on something on a computer screen. I have no business viewing. I need to lift my eyes up to Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith. You can fall in a pit or you can fall in the presence of the Lord. It's up to you. But you fight discouragement by praying in the face of it. Read through Nehemiah. Every time the enemy came, Nehemiah prayed. Every time he faced the enemy. The next verse is a prayer. Chapter 4, verse 4 and 5. The enemy comes, verse 3. Here's verse 4. Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads. Give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity. Do not let their sin be blotted out from before you. For you, they have provoked you to anger before the builders. What does Nehemiah do about these discouraging voices? He takes them to God in prayer. God, do something about this. Lord, we need you to intervene. Lord, we need you to bring judgment here. We need you to act for us. So you pray in the face of discouragement. Say, pray. You can fall in the pit or you can fall in His presence. It's up to you. Number two, post a guard. Say that with me. Post a guard. During seasons of attack, you post a guard. Look at chapter 4, verse 9. They're in the thick of this. The enemy has threatened them. Verse 9 says, Nevertheless, we made our prayer to God, and because of them, a watch against them day and night. I love this. They were praying, and they were packing. Amen? What did we do? We prayed, and we set a guard. Praying and packing. If this won't preach in South Alabama, I don't know what will. You need God and a gun, baby. Pray and pack some heat. We prayed and we posted a guard. 
We didn't just pray. We posted a guard. We put a man at the gate with a sword in his hand. Amen. You pray over your house, I do, and I set that ADT alarm every night too. You pray, yes, I do. I got John 3.16 and I got a 3.57 on the other side of that one. Yeah, Don't come in my house. Amen. You might meet Jesus, but it might not be the way you want to. Amen. Ah, uh, don't come to my house after dark. Pray and you post a guard. Right, men? All the men said, Amen. Amen. Yes. <laughs> they prayed and they posted a guard. Sometimes you got to do more than pray, church. Prayer is not a substitute for action. Prayer is preparation for action. Prayer is asking God to bless my actions that I'm about to do. The only thing God can bless is an effort. We got out there on the boat this weekend with the boys, and, and they were praying, Lord, we need some fish. Lord, they, Mitch said we had to eat, eat fish tonight, and we got to catch enough fish to feed everybody. We need to, we need they were praying over the poles. They were praying over the water. Lord, we, we need some fish. And I looked around, and everybody on the boat had their pole in their hand, and there wasn't a worm in the water. And I said, Lord, we, y'all, we got to help God out a little bit. <laughs> you know, Hit the release button on that rod one time. Let that worm trail behind this boat while we're going out. Amen. I mean, you got to give God something to work with. Amen. Pray and post a guard. Bless the guard, but you got to post him. Amen. Yeah. God will help you fight your battles, but sometimes you got to fight them. Amen. There's an old, I love this, post a guard. Look at verse 17. Those who built the wall and those who carried the burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other hand they held a weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at as he built. And the one who sounded the trumpet was by me. They had a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other hand. They were ready. They were working and they were praying. It's like the old gospel song. He taught me how to fight and pray and live rejoicing every day. And you got to fight and pray if you're going to make it. Amen? Amen. It's an old African verb. It takes a village to raise a child. The work God's called you to do, you cannot do alone. The challenges are too great. The enemies are too daunting. You need a tribe. Say a tribe. You need some people who help you guard your life. You've got to have some help guarding your church, guarding your community, guarding your life that you're building. You need a church. You need a small group. You need a pastor. You need a band of brothers who block for you, fight for you, pray for you. will not leave you behind when the battle gets hot. Listen, this weekend we had a great group of men who gathered at the Lake Camp House near Linden, Alabama. Where were you? Where were you? Pastor, I didn't know about it. Well, it was in the bulletin and it was on the announcement and it was on the newsletter. So I don't know what we got to do, but we got to get the news to you because we want you at events like that. It was a wonderful weekend where brothers got together and sat and ate large, voluminous amounts of Koneka sausage off the grill and talked about their family and talked about their life. And then we ate scrambled eggs and talked about the struggles of work and, 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 and what life is really like. And when we prayed for one another and we encouraged one another and we got honest with one another. And then we shot 2,000 rounds and blew up some skeet. It was wonderful. Yeah. Come join us. You need some people like that in your life. You need some people around you who will hold you up. You need those people. Who are the handful of fellow believers who watch out for your soul and check on your family? Who do you call when you come under attack? 
Who comes looking for you when you go missing? Who do you alert when the old temptations from your past call out to you? Who stands in the gap and fills the breaches in your walls? A brother was born for adversity. Who are your brothers? A great church is a good place to start looking for them. Number three, and I close with this. Finally, what do you do? You pray, you post a guard, you get some people around your life to hold you accountable and to block for you and to help you fight the enemy. And number three, you plug away. Say, plug away. You just keep working. You just keep plowing ahead. You just put your nose down and keep working. And while other people run their mouth and tell you that you can't do it, you just keep doing it anyway. Amen. And if you'll do that, God will bless it. Chapter 4, verse 6. So they built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Do you have a mind to work? It's called a work ethic. Just getting up and getting it done. Amen? Don't make an excuse. Make an effort. Have mercy. I'm so tired of people who always have an excuse. Well, it's like this because of so-and-so and so-and-so. Well, you know... The people who were getting it done had the same obstacles you had. Well, it was raining. Well, it was raining where they lived too. Amen. Well, I was tired. Did it ever occur to you that most of the work in the world gets done by people who don't feel like doing it and who are tired enough to want to be somewhere else? Just get up and go to work. Showing up's half the battle. Amen. Plug away at it. Chip away at it. Do the work. Do the work that God has put in front of you. So they built the wall and finished it in 52 days, chapter 6 and verse 15 says. Sometimes you've got to shut out the voice of the enemy, put your head down, and quietly continue to do what God has called you to do. You don't always have to defend yourself. Let your work speak for you. As the old country song said, we need a little less talk and there you go. Y'all listen to country music, don't you? Yes. When Nehemiah's enemies tried to lure him away to have a meeting outside the city, I love what he said back to them. He said in verse 3, he sent messengers and he said, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I come out to you? I don't have time for your foolishness, Nehemiah said. I'm not stopping. I'm not going to quit what I'm doing to come talk to you about what I'm doing. If you want to be part of it, pick up a trowel and help me. But don't criticize what I'm doing and don't poor mouth what I'm doing. I'm doing and don't call a meeting and try to distract me from what I'm doing the answer is no I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down you just need to start telling some people no people who waste time and energy and, and emotion and, and don't and are stopping you from doing what God's called you to do tell them no oh pastor you need to be part of this it'd be a great thing I'm part of a great thing it's called the church of Jesus in fact, I wish some people would give up some good things and come help me be part of this great thing that God's doing here. Amen. Mm. Lord, Pastor, you need to be on this board and this committee and your kids need to be in these 500 activities. No, they don't. They need to be in one or two good ones that they excel at and that help them. And they need to be in God's house. And they need to be here under the influence of God's Word. This is where they need to be. If I had to pick between soccer camp and church youth camp, my kid's going to church youth camp. Amen. Because there's a 1% chance he'll be a professional soccer player and a 100% chance he'll stand before God at the end of his life. Amen. Who makes those decisions? Well, he really wants to go. And? Who's the gatekeeper at your house? 
You are. Amen. Lord, help me. If you stop to answer every barking dog, you will never get anything done in your life. You hear me? We don't have to explain our way of life to everybody. We don't have to justify all of our decisions. Well, my family is doing that. And? This is what it means to be a man. You finally get to the place where you realize that you're entitled to your own convictions and your own values and your own beliefs about some things, and you stand on those. This is where I've chosen. Now, you don't get to pick the consequences of that, by the way. It is what it is. But every man's got to come to the place where he stands up and says, For my life, this is what I've chosen. And I don't care if my friends don't agree with me. Every man's got to be that for his family. Got to be that for his wife and husband. You got to be that for your We've got to be that for our church. It's not about answering our critics. It's not about proving that we're right or committed or capable. It's about finishing what God has called us to do. Some of us have been taken out of the Lord's work because the enemy distracted you from your calling. Don't let some past ministry hurt take you off the playing field and bench you on the sidelines any longer. Get back in the game. The team needs you. We need you at full capacity. Some of you are single dads and the enemy used a recent divorce like a gut punch to you. Don't let bitterness or grief distract you from your assignment. You may not be a husband anymore, but you're still a father. So don't give up on that assignment. Bring your children up in the fear and the love of the Lord and use every influence that you have to make sure that they get that involvement from you. Some of you have allowed the frantic pace of our society, the endless menu of options to keep you so busy, it steals every waking moment of time God has given you to strengthen your family and invest in God's kingdom by serving in his local church. Wake up. This is not a drill. Life is no dress rehearsal. This is the real deal. Get your head in the game. Don't let discouragement make you go passive and say, well, I'm just going to float through life. Don't let fear and fatigue dishearten you and make you give up and crumble before your enemy. Don't let criticism and busyness distract you from your God-given purpose. You've got a call on your life to build the kingdom and to battle for your family. God has called you to this. You're the gatekeeper at your house. No one can stand in that spot except you. What are you going to do about it? Hmm. Some of you say, well, my wife has pretty much become the spiritual leader of our home. And whose fault is that? She can't follow a parked car. Step up. Where are the men of God? The old hymn writer said, arise, O men of God. Be done with lesser things. It's time for the church of God to rise. It's time for the men of God to rise. Pastor, you've sort of made me mad. Good. I aimed on it. I ate some extra cheese grits to be able to make you mad this morning. I hope I make you mad. Hope it flies all over you. I hope it provokes you. I hope it stirs you up to do better and to do different. Sometimes we need somebody to pat us on the back. Sometimes we need somebody to slap us upside our hard head. Amen. What are we going to do about it today? It's time to build and it's time to battle. I want you to stand with me all over the Lord's house.
We close with verse 14. I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people. I love this. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. If I could tell you two things today, it would be remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your family today. Fight. God is with you. God is for you. He's your defender. He's your protector. We've sung about it all morning. He will stand with you if you will stand. He will strengthen you for battle. David said, He trains my hands for war. But don't expect God to protect your house if you won't protect your house. Oh, God, help me today. Don't expect the Lord to defend your house if you won't do your part to defend it. The Lord will stand with you, but you've got to stand with the Lord. It's not enough to pray that your kids do okay. And then you're bringing junk into your life that's going to get on them. Well, he doesn't see me do it. He doesn't know I do it. There's a spirit attached to it. And it opens a door in your life and the enemy gets attached to you. And then it follows you into your own house. And it doesn't matter if he saw you do it or not. It's on you. And you've let the snake in the door. My God. Quit playing with the enemy. He's playing for keeps. He's come for your children. Hell has come for our family. We play games with the enemy. Stop it. It's time to build the walls. It's time to repair the gates of our lives. It's time to stand in the holes and the breaches and keep the enemy from getting in and keep our family from slipping out. It's time to build. It's time to battle. It's time to fight back against the discouragement and the disheartenment and the distraction in our lives. It's time to get a group of brothers around us who will strengthen us and encourage us, encourage us, yes, and who will go after us and call us out on our junk when we begin to mess up. You need some friends that will encourage you. Yes, you do need some friends that will encourage you. You also need some friends that will come and grab you by both collars and shake you and go, what are you doing? You know better than this. Yeah. If you don't have a friend who will call you an idiot, you need to go find you a friend today. You hear me? Yes. You need a friend like that who will tell you you are messing up royally and you are about to step in a hole. You need a friend like that. That's a friend. Not someone who will flatter you. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. But the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. If somebody only says good things to you, that ain't a friend. A friend will hurt you to help you. He'll stand against you because he's for you. He'll tell you the truth that you don't want to hear because he wants you to win. Amen? You need a friend. Can I tell you today, you've got a friend in the Lord Jesus today. And if this message has hurt your feelings, I'm glad. But my question for you remains, what are you going to do about it? Are you willing to build? Are you willing to fight? Will you remember the Lord and fight for your family today? That's my question. Every head bowed this morning. You've got enough grits in you to hold you to lunch, I promise you. This morning, this altar's open. And I want, to give a, I want to give an invitation this morning. Number one, if you're a man in this room and you don't know the Lord Jesus, listen, you will never be able to do what I've called on you to do today until you have your relationship with God right. That's the first gate you've got to repair. 
is the gate between you and God. You've got to get that right. You've got to have a door open in your life where God can speak to you and you can speak to God. You've got to have the spiritual gate right. Is the spiritual gate in your life open to God and closed to the enemy? Have you invited Jesus to come into your heart and life? If not, you need to do that this morning. Lord, I'm inviting you to come into the gate of my heart. I'm closing the gate to the enemy. I need you to come in here and help me. I'm making a mess of this by myself. Number two, some of you are here today and you need to start at your own back door. You're here today and you know as well as I do that you have allowed, but the enemy's broken down your walls. He's, he's burned the gates of your life with fire and now he's beginning to slip in the holes. He's coming in. He's finding an entrance into your life. You're beginning to slip. You're beginning to allow things that you normally would not. Old sins are calling to you. Things you never thought you would allow are coming into the gates of your life. When are you going to fix that? Fix it this morning. God has spoken to you. God loved you enough to send by a holiness preacher to pop you upside your head and tell you it's time to fix the gate. It's time to repair the hole in the wall. Fix it. Fix it now. Don't wait. Quit playing with the snake. Don't let him in your house any longer. Number three today, maybe you're here. You say, Pastor, so discouraged. The enemy's come up against me. I'm tired. I'm worn out. I'm exhausted. The voice of discouragement has come up against me and I am losing heart that I'm going to be able to do what I know that God has called me to do. I challenge you to come. You'll either fall in the pit or you'll fall in His presence. It's up to you. But if you want to win, come fall in the presence of the Lord this morning for a moment and cry out to Him. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, who will help you fight for your family. He'll help you today if you'll call on Him. Do what Nehemiah did. Call on the Lord every time the enemy rises up against you. Call on Jesus. Learn how to fight and pray today. Pick up your sword and your trowel. Finally today, if you're here today and you say, Pastor, Pastor, God's laid a cause on my heart. I see the holes in the wall around me. I see it at work, in my family, in my community, in my church. God's laid a burden on me. I want to be part of the solution. I want to rise up and build. I want to do something for God. Good. Come line up. Come in list. Come ask God to meet you and help you here this morning. The altar's open, but if you need to pray, I challenge you, don't miss the moment. Well, Pastor, what good is it going to come in to do for me to come down front this morning? It'll do you a lot of good. It'll hold you accountable. There's something about going public and making it real and saying, this is what I aim to do, and putting it out there. There's an accountability to that. There's a reality to that. There's also the truth that the presence of God will meet you here if you'll come and call on Him today. I challenge you to come. If you need the Lord Jesus, if you need to get rid of some stuff in your life and repair your gates, if you're ready to rise and fight for your family and take your place, if you're ready this morning to shake off discouragement and fear, doubt, and allow God to use you greatly, I invite you to come while Pastor Chad leads us in song. When I pray, the altar's open. You don't have to wait on me. You just come. If you need to come, come this morning. Come. Hurry. Don't hesitate. Don't wait. Don't hold back. Don't hold back. It's your house. You're the gatekeeper. Nobody can do this for you. It's your life. You're the gatekeeper in your life. Don't wait on anybody or anything. It's about you. It's your decision. It's personal. You can't wait on somebody else. Don't wait on somebody else to start it. Start working today. 
Work on the hole in the wall in your life right now. Right now, obey the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, right now as we lift our heart up, as we lift our voices up to you, I pray that you would stir up the hearts of some men in this room. I pray that you would provoke some people today. I pray that you would get a hold of them. I pray that you would shake them. I pray that you would bring conviction of sin. I pray that you would draw them to mend the fences in their lives. I pray that you would call on them to repair the gates of their own heart. Lord, I pray for some men today who have allowed some things to enter that you would shake them today. Lord, I pray for some that are battling with addiction and bondage and the enemies grip them that today would be the day they break loose from that. Today would be the day they come clean and say, God, I need you to help me. Lord, there's some today who taken a bullet to the chest, discouragement. Some of them got hurt. Some of them got wounded. Some of them, it may be divorce or a broken relationship. It may be a ministry hurt. I don't know what it is, but something took them out And Lord, today you're calling them back into the fight. Lord, I pray that today you draw them to this altar to say, God, I'm ready. I'm ready to be all in. I'm ready to be all yours. God, I pray today that you'd move in this house. Stir us up. Thank you for listening to our podcast up the hill. We pray that you are blessed by this message. For more information on what's happening up the hill and to stay connected, visit our website at forcehillcog.org. Join our Facebook page, facebook.com slash forcehillcog, or download our app from the iTunes or Google Play Store.